Good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Holy and gracious God, we just, uh, we humbly come before you. We bend our knees before you and confess that Jesus is Lord and Lord of all. And Lord, as we come out of the the hot temperatures and we come out of this uh, chaos and um, uncertainty and and negativity that exists in the world around us, we just come together before you as your children, asking that uh, you would fan and fuel the flame of truth before us with your words. And that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that you might illuminate our hearts and minds and souls with your truth so that we might know you, we might know your love, and we might be reassured once again that you have never stopped loving us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All righty, this morning, uh, we're going to start off. I got a little picture I want to show y'all. So this is a Roman bridge, and it's, it's one of many Roman bridges, and it was built in 3 BC, meaning before Jesus even came around. And um, it was, the reason I wanted to show you this is because you remember the Romans ruled the known world at this time, and they did a lot of things. And one of the things they did is they developed arch architecture. And that enabled them to do a lot of things that they couldn't previously do because these arches were weight-bearing, and it allowed them to construct things like the Colosseum and other big things that would uh, not previously been able to do because they didn't have the architectural capability. Now, these bridges were a big point because they would allow them to get over expanses that they couldn't otherwise get over, you know, maybe this one they could have walked over under the ground, you know what I mean? But this bridge was f- built for people to get more expediently across a very difficult place. And what, uh, one of the things you have to keep in mind is that when they built these bridges and they thought of weight, what they thought of were pedestrians, soldiers, chariots, maybe a cart. That was the weight that they thought about on these bridges. So guess what? This bridge today is useless because it can't bear the weight of trucks and cars that we now use to transport ourselves. Now you notice there's a bridge in the back, right? And it's the kind of bridge that we're more familiar with. That's modern technology or modern architecture. The reason I wanted to show you this bridge is because for some of us, our worldview, how we see things, how we think about things, how we perceive things and our beliefs about things are kind of like the bridge. It cannot stand up to the weight, to the pressures of today's world. And then we look at the crumbled mess of our bridge and wonder what happened. One of those areas that I think is critical for us, particularly as Christians in this country, that is one of those bridges is freedom. And so today I want to look at freedom because we're Americans, we're all about freedom, right? That's kind of the cornerstone of what this country is about, right? Freedom. Home of, the land, home of the free and the brave. So let's look at freedom a little bit, and we'll look at that context and talk about that in the context of, of the bridge. Um, but I do have to lay one foundational piece, and this is an important thing, is that in order for us to honestly look at truth, we have to allow for the fact that we live in an antithetical world. And by antithetical, what I mean is if something is true, the opposite can also be true. There either is a God or there's not a God. They can't both be true. And we could say that about a lot of different things. Say the sun is shining or it is not. If something is true, the opposite cannot also be true. That is a point that we have to stand on, a principle that we have to work off of, okay? Let's look at Galatians 5.1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So you see there's the word freedom. 
Another word that could equally be used is liberty. So what are we doing on, uh, on uh, Tuesday? We're going to celebrate our independence. We're going to celebrate our Freedom Day, Liberty Day. You can use either word. It doesn't matter. But we're looking at freedom today, and I want to look a little bit closer at that word, specifically the word freedom. When we think of freedom, what most people would say freedom is, I am free if I can do what I want to do, and I don't have to do the things that I don't want to do, right? Especially if you're under the age of about 13, you know? <laughs> Unfortunately, we have some people who are not 13 years old and say, oh, that's what freedom is. That's what I want. I want to be able to do what I want to do and not have to do the things that I don't want to do, right? We all like that. Let's sign up for that program. That belief that we have that is very prevalent in our culture is also kind of founded on another belief that says this. We're all equally born and we deserve equal opportunity and equal rights. But I want to be independent too. And I want to have my own identity. And I'm not going to get into discussion of how those two things conflict, but that's a really prevalent thought in our culture is we're all equally born, we all deserve equal rights and equal opportunity, but I want my individuality. Okay? But we're looking at Galatians 5.1, and we're looking at freedom, and we're trying to look at it from what God's perspective of freedom is, because one of the things that is antithetical is that God is a God of light, not a God of darkness. God is a light of truth, not a God of deceit. So he has something to say about freedom, and we might want to know his perspective, because God is a God of truth, not deceit. Sometimes we can look at something, or what something isn't, in order to understand what something is. And so, biblically, when we talk about slavery, because it says here, don't be a slave again, when we talk about slavery, that was common for the time. Most people were truly slaves or servants. They didn't have the freedoms that you and I have. They didn't have the liberties that you and I have. Everybody knew what slavery was. So when they started talking about slavery, everybody knew, oh yeah, I can relate to that one. Not so much in our culture, or so we think. Because there are some characteristics of slavery when we look at God's definition of slavery that we can see and maybe look at and maybe experience. And one of them is, it's kind of an independence thing. And what it sounds like in my language is when I have a long explanation for everything, I might even be kind of defensive, but I've got all kinds of explanations for the wrongs in my life, okay? But what you won't hear is me taking responsibility for myself. That's one attribute of slavery. A second one is, it's not my fault. There's always somebody to blame. There's either a person or a situation that is the reason for the wrongs of my life. But the one thing you won't hear in that is forgiveness. Can you see the antithetical? A third attribute is avoidance. At any cost, I'll avoid the realities of what I'm dealing with. And you hear that in a lot of negativity and a lot of criticism. But you know what you don't hear? is a heart of gratitude. Now, when I talk about those three attributes of explaining things away, blaming things away, avoiding things away, similar to a sore throat and a runny nose and an elevated body temperature are indicative of another problem I have, so are those three attributes. See, because those are just symptoms of the problem. The real problem is, the real reason that I 
explain things away, blame other people, and avoid things is because I have this nature that is not so good. The world would teach that deep down inside, basically everybody's good. It's all over Hollywood. Pick a movie that talks about the triumph of the spirit or how one person can overcome evil of their own. Even the message of that people are basically good. That's the message of the world. Unfortunately, it meets the reality that we have a loving creator God who the earth and all it contains belongs to him. And his singular desire is to love his creation. However, we as people, and I'm including us, have a nature that says, no, thank you. I want to do my own thing because I want to do what I want to do, and I don't want to have to do the things that I don't want to do. So what I'm telling you is the definition of me doing what I want to do and not having to do the things I don't want to do is not freedom. It's actually rebellion and rejection of God's love. And we all have that. Let's look at John 8, verse 32. 31, sorry. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. There's that free word again. Now one of the things I have to tell you is that kind of one of those Roman bridges that doesn't stand up to the test of time is there some, you've heard people say, and the truth will set you free. And the inference is, if you're just honest, that you'll be set free. That's not what Jesus is talking about here, okay? The Jews who had believed. You remember I've told you before that belief and faith and trust are synonyms. They're three words with the same meaning in the Bible. So we could substitute those words out in there. We could say, the Jews who trusted Jesus, okay? I like the word trust because trust is something that happens here more than here. And trust is something that I really struggle with. Those who had trusted Jesus. And he told them, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Now I have to tell you, disciple, that word means literally to walk in the footsteps of. But it also infers that a disciple is work, walking in the footsteps of a teacher. So Jesus is saying, if you're my disciples and I teach you, you're continuing in my word. The word's in here. And as you continue in my words and I'm your teacher, our relationship will grow with each other. And you will know me more. And I will teach you more. And as, you, as I use my words to grow you and teach you, guess what? The truth he's talking about here is him, self. You will know Jesus the truth, and Jesus the truth will make you free. The participation of us is that he makes us free. I don't gain my own freedom, okay? So, by Jesus' words, freedom is inextricably woven into a relationship with Jesus. And therefore, the greater the relationship I have with Jesus, the more freedom I have. Important to understand that during Jesus' time, as well as during Paul's time when he writes his letter to the Galatians is, though they knew freedom, economically, culturally, socially, they were still under slavery. But yet they had freedom. And it reminds me of a time that I was with a prison ministry 
And we went and visited uh, the place out near Richmond and Rosenberg. And I saw a guy there who happened to recognize me, and I knew him, from athletic endeavors. And I remember the guy coming up to me, and I said, how's it going? Because that's my typical greeting. If you know me, that's how I greet. And he said, um, oh, I'm free. And as he's hugging me, telling me he's free, I'm looking at a big fence with barbed wire and another fence beyond that with barbed wire and security guys with guns. And this guy's telling me, I'm free. And I'm thinking, you're a sucker. And then he said something really interesting. He said, and I know the difference between you and me. And I said, what? And he said, I got caught. A lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. Anyhow, freedom is inextricably woven in a relationship with Jesus. There isn't no Jesus, no freedom. Do you see the antithetical relationship there? Jesus is freedom, not Jesus is slavery. All right? Let's go back to Galatians 5.1 again. So I want to give you a little context here. So what had happened is that, you remember Howard last week said that Galatia was today's modern-day Turkey, and Paul had opened up this church, and God through Paul had opened up a church in Galatia, southern Turkey, and uh, about that same time popped up a group of people within the Jewish sect, and they were called Judaizers. And the Judaizers were people who came behind Paul and the other disciples and would say, yeah, the Jesus thing is great, but if you really want to be one of God's people, you need to get circumcised. And then you need to follow God's rules in terms of ceremonial worship, civil relationships, and a bunch of other stuff that they had made up. So it was all about doing and not doing. The thing is that it sounds ridiculous, right, that somebody would come in afterwards and tell grown men that they need to be circumcised. I mean, I know every man right now is kind of shirking, you know, like, no way. But it sounds ridiculous. But two things. First is, essentially what they were saying is that a relationship with God is you doing certain things and not doing other things, which is just a transposition of I can do what I want to do and I don't have to do the things I don't want to do. And I've already said, we're not even capable of that because somewhere inside of me is this corruption that says, yeah, I want to do the things I want to do and I don't want to do other things and that's based on what I want because I want to be my own God. And the message of there's certain things you don't do and there's certain things that you do do if you're really a Christian is also the message that you don't need Jesus. So Paul was very upset with this message because it had come in and behind him into this church and it was corrupting the people, giving them the idea that somehow your relationship with Jesus is based on your behavior. That's the definition of your relationship. So that's the second point of what I would get you to think about here is that us as Christians and church people, how frequently are we given that message? That a person's relationship with Jesus or God is based on their behavior. So we see them do something we don't like, and what do we do? Or we see them do something they should be doing, and they're not doing it, and what do we do? We start criticizing them, we start pointing out, and we have what have you. And we have this false belief that if we would tell them the difference between right and wrong, that they would do right. Right? Just like us, right? Wrong. See, God's law has never brought about right behavior. And we know that ourselves, because if we're honest with ourselves, knowing the difference between right and wrong has never kept me from doing wrong, right? That is the truth. And the Judaizers come in and snuck in with this message, but that message is very appealing to my old sinful self, my slave self, 
But yeah, that's right. I'll just start doing these things and stop doing those things, and I'll be good with God. The problem is we never stop, and then we find new ways of doing other things. So this inward nature that I have that wants to do what it wants to do and not do the things that I don't want to do creates a big chasm between God and I, a big valley, if you will. And if you could walk up and look over the edge and look down, there is no bottom. And if you could look out across, the distance is too far to see wherever God is on the other side. But this inward nature of mine, wanting to do my own thing, wanting to do what I want to do and not do what I don't want to do, has created that chasm. And I can't bridge it. And God looks at us, and he looks at the chasm, and he said, I have a solution. I'm going to send my son. And my son, in essence, is going to do the things that you don't want to do. And he will not do the things that you are doing. So Jesus lives the perfect life. And he fulfills all the requirements of God's moral and civil and ceremonial law. Perfectly. He's the only one who can. And then he dies on a cross and suffers the consequences of what you and I should be suffering for that wanting to do what we want to do and not do the things that we don't want to do. And he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And God showed that his love is the most powerful force in this universe. And by raising Jesus from the dead, he declared forgiveness on Jesus, and he declared forgiveness on us. And in Jesus' life, and his death and his resurrection. Can you put the bridge back up? His life and his death and his resurrection constructed the bridge that closes the gap, the bottomless can't see gap for me and for you. And he has built that bridge that is unshakable. The problem here is that if I would add one grain of sand to that bridge of my own, the entire bridge collapses. If Jesus died for 99.99% of all sin, the one-tenth of a percent of sin that he didn't die for destroys the whole bridge. You see, Jesus is every, everything or he is nothing. He has either satisfied God or he has not. Let me see if I can illustrate it to you this way. When you and I come before the cross of Jesus and we see his beaten and broken and abused body on that cross because of our addictions to drugs and alcohol and food and sex and who knows what else, we see it on the consequences of his body. When we see his hands nailed to the cross we see the consequences of the things that we've done with our hands, the things that we've stolen, the things we've done in violence, the things that we've touched that we shouldn't have touched. We see his feet nailed because of where our feet have gone and what we've done with our feet. We see his head bleeding from a crown of thorns 
because of the thoughts that we've had and the words that we've said. And we see the culmination of the consequences of us not doing what we, want it, we should be doing and doing things that we shouldn't be doing in His body. And in that moment where we stand and we see the consequences of our lives on His body, He looks back at us and He looks us in the eye and we have nothing to say because we can't explain it away. We can't blame other people and we darn sure can't avoid it. And we have to deal with the reality of who we truly are in His presence while He's on that cross. And as we look at Him in the eyes with nothing to say and no ability to change what we've done, do you know what Jesus says to us? I love you and I forgive you. Jesus is either everything or He's nothing. You see, because Jesus has done what you and I would never do, and he's not done all the things that we've done, and he paid the price for us on the cross, God has forgiven us. And now, we can continue living on, doing what we want to do, and not doing what we don't want to do, and living in the consequences of that, and being separated from God, and having this chasm from here to forever, or we can live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us. And in that freedom, we're no longer slaves to ourselves, but we're now freed to be God's children. We're now freed to be God's servants. We're no longer required to do and not do. If in your freedom, you do and not do, it's okay. But the relationship is no longer based on what we do and don't do. It's based on what has been done for us. And that is the foundation of our relationship, and that is the freedom. And no longer having the obligation to meet all of God's requirements, Jesus has freed our hearts to love. And in the freedom of this love, we now respond to something differently. We respond to God's love for us rather than some need or some wrong intention that we somehow can satisfy God, that we somehow contribute one grain of sand to the bridge. So, this coming Tuesday, we have an option, an antithetical option. We can either celebrate our independence to do what we want to do and not have to do the things we don't want to do, and continue to live in those consequences and continue to see our bridges crumble or we can live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us and we can be God's children and our hearts can be freed to love, free to live, free to pray, free to read our Bibles, free to worship together, wherever God's love might lead you. We now live in that freedom. It's an either or, you can't do both. And my prayer is that we stop trying to add grains of sand to God's bridge. Let's pray together. Holy and gracious God, we just give you thanks and praise that when we were helpless, that when we were hopeless, even when we were dead in our transgressions and still yet your enemy, that you came for us. Even though all of us are like sheep have gone astray, even though none of us is righteous and none seeks God, you came for us. 
and you sought us and you claimed us as your own. And in just a few moments, we're going to participate in the baptism of a little baby and you're going to claim that baby as your own. You're going to make him another king in your kingdom. So we just give you thanks that you came to us and you've given us freedom, a freedom that uh, the world cannot know, a freedom not based on what we do or don't do, but a freedom that is complete in our big brother Jesus' death on that cross and his resurrection. So we just give you thanks and praise knowing that you are our God and we are your children. We are no longer slaves of sin. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.